Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, and happy 4th of July, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Woo! We're awake. I just love it how we like, every time we're like, how are you doing? And the other two are like blank stares for just a moment. <laughs> Who goes first? You know, it's like, who's on first? <laughs> Tim's on first. I have a question for you guys. At at 4th of July, what is your favorite pyrotechnic thing that you use or take advantage of? So we've got like snaps, sparklers, firecrackers. In Iowa, fireworks are now legal on 4th of July. Do you guys have a favorite firework or not? I'm just curious. Sorry, I'm really, really boring. I I love watching my kids go crazy with fireworks. And, and I can enjoy <laughs> okay. the aesthetics of it, but I do not have a favorite. Okay. <clears throat> Charlie? Yeah, I don't really have a favorite. So probably that's low. It's kind of tame. I, I do have a favorite joke that my dad used to tell about fireworks. Oh, I want to hear it. You mentioned that fireworks are now legal in Iowa, but for a long time, they were not. And so... Where I grew yeah. up, mm-hmm. the closest way to get fireworks would be to drive to Missouri. And, you know, I I should not disparage uh, Missouri because they have like the, I think in Missouri is the Mark Twain National Forest and, you know, Mark Twain uh, is, a, is a famous author, you know, so I shouldn't disparage them. But this is my dad's joke. And he would tell it every year on like July 1st or 2nd as we drove to Missouri to get fireworks. And he would always remind us, he would say, do you know why fireworks are legal in Missouri but aren't legal in Iowa? Oh boy, this is going to be bad. You know, I just, I'm regretting saying you should tell this joke, I think. <laughs> What's the punchline? And I don't personally believe this, but this is what my dad would say. Kids can't read or write in Missouri anyway. They don't need their fingers. Oh, Charlie. Horrendous. That's so bad. Under under the auspice of, you know, if you're playing with fireworks, you're going to like blow your fingers off. And so my dad would always, you know, well, they don't need their fingers anyway. They can't read. Um, Oh, wow. Which is not Missouri. Wow. Which is not true. That's funny. Growing up, it wasn't Missouri that everyone in my family. Well, they wouldn't make jokes, but you'd hear jokes. It was it was Minnesota. It was like this Iowa Minnesota rivalry that would would well, spur those kinds of jokes. It's because you know Missouri's just liked, Missouri. You know, yeah, that's true. It, um, if you say it, if you say it I really like, slowly, it sounds like misery. <laughs> See, if I'm going to get on a state, like I'm, I'm like dog on a state. It's going to be Nebraska every day. Amen. I'm fine with Amen. Missouri. But Nebraska is like the flattest, most boring. Sorry, everyone out in Nebraska who's a listener. I apologize. And if you are and there's something great about Nebraska, you know, just let us know. There is but, uh, there is something <clears throat> great about Nebraska. I was like good old-fashioned firecrackers. Mm. You know what's, what's really great about Nebraska? Do I want to? I don't to? know if you do. <laughs> Tell me. Leaving. <laughs> Tell me. Oh, you're horrendous. <laughs> you are on. Oh, man, that's rough. You... Go back to the darkness. I open this can. I apologize, Tim. Go back, Tim. Go back to the shadow. I got it wrong. No, I know. I, I, I do. Not, I don't bleed Tolkien like you do. Okay. I do. Go I back do to love. The I got it. I right do love time. many great people in Nebraska. Whispering Cedars. I'm a. I love their camp. I've been there many times, and I'm actually going to speak there this summer. So uh, I do not. Uh, oh, that's awesome. 
I do not uh, li- literally have vitriol for Missouri or Nebraska. Which which is actually helpful because if we had vitriol, we wouldn't have time to get to the thinklings business that we need to tend to right now. Books and business. Let's talk about some books. Tim, what books do you have for us? So probably like two months ago, I mentioned Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality by Zachary Wagner. And I, I, gave, I went through like half of it. So I finished the book actually quite a while ago. And uh, I've been wanting to get to it on this on the podcast. I'm finishing that today. So uh, I'm picking up at like the 120 mark. Um, when, when we're seeking to, um, when we're seeking to, uh, create something and advise or direct somebody on how to live, uh, that's when our theology really starts to come out. So it's easy to poke at other people and just say, yeah, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. But what's more challenging is to say, well, this is the way that it's supposed to be. Because when you say this is the way that it's supposed to be, then guess what everybody does to you? They, they start poking you. They poke. They poke back, right. And so um, this is where uh, theology, and even when it comes to biblical masculinity, has to be rooted in a fear of a God. And it has to be grounded in the word of God. Because then when the pokes start coming, then what are they really poking at? Well, they're ideally, the they're word of God, poking at the word of God. I think that's what you're getting. Correct. At. Yep, that's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm trying to uh, emphasize here. So, in non-toxic masculinity, in the second episode or second time that I'm bringing it up, um, I'm going to highlight five different uh, um, uh, aspects of Wagner's uh, sexuality conversation. Uh, that he says, this is the way forward. And I just want to kind of illustrate to the reader, this is an IV, IVP press publication, and this is where the conversation is going uh, when it comes to Christian publishing. Um, and these are the issues now that are being written about, uh, which kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, and, and But this is where we're at when it, when it comes to post-purity culture uh, in in our current cultural moment. So on page 122, um, he begins a discussion on pornography, and he makes a statement, few Christians need convincing that watching pornography is wrong. Still, I wonder if it might be helpful to shift the way we talk about adolescence porn use from moral compromise to moral immaturity. So he's kind of changing the conversation as it's not moral compromise, it's moral immaturity. Now, I want you to think about that. Is it compromising to morally compromising to look at pornography? That's like low hanging fruit to say, yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, no, that's morally compromised. I I think so. All right. That's more compromise to look at pornography. But he wants to change the common, the con, the conversation to moral immaturity. Would it be immature to look at porn? And what does what's the difference? What's he doing here by going from compromise to immaturity? It makes it less wrong. Like they're ignorant, so they're not right. fully it's culpable. Like, it seems like it's, it's yeah, it's it's interesting because often 
often immature spiritual immaturity okay spiritual maturity is going to go along with that but i wouldn't call it like moral immaturity makes it sound like i I don't know right from wrong does that make sense like immature is like you're not mature yet and you're saying morally so then i don't know right Mm -hmm. from wrong and i would say that most users at least christians who who view pornea there they know the right from wrong that's not the issue that's Okay, so then he states, the compulsive use of pornography, both for adolescents and adults, often signals some unmet emotional or physical need. So why are you looking at porn? Well, there's some unmet emotional or physical need, according to Wagner. There is a spiritual dimension to a struggle. Yes, it is. It's very Freudian. There is a spiritual... There, there's a spiritual dimension to a struggle with pornography, but the issue is often over-spiritualized. Porn really? use is often a symptom, not the disease itself. It is the way that... Uh, well, I'll just stop there. I mean, the okay, symptom, so not the disease. He does, idolatry. Right. Like there's an idol, right. there's an idol of pleasure right. or, or right. Uh, fulfillment or being the man or whatever and the symptom. So I can get behind that, but I don't. I don't think that's, he's saying it's a symptom of the moral immaturity, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm, I'm not, okay. So uh, at the at the bottom, I mean, so basically he's de-emphasizing uh, pornography and saying it's not that big of a deal. But then at the bottom, I think he's trying to say, well, it's, it's I think he's, what he's trying to do is say, listen, it is a problem, but it's not as big of a deal as we've made it out to be. I think that's what he's maybe trying to to do in his psychobabble language. At the bottom, he says, I'm not saying pornography is no big deal or that we should turn a blind eye to it. So he does clarify himself. And so I'm trying to be charitable. Um, and, and then on page 124, he talks about the ethics of pornography production and consumption. And he basically uh, then uh, interacts with progressive Christian author Nadia Bowles-Weber, who basically says it's not wrong to look at pornography. And then he argues uh, for several pages why pornography is bad, okay? And Christians should not view porn. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the books that I'm interacting with or even reading with young men uh, who struggle with pornography, we're not really arguing that pornography is bad. Because guess what? They already know that. The conversation, however, is changing within broader Christendom, where you have a quote-unquote progressive Christian who says pornography is not wrong. Or they should say, I should clarify, some pornography is not wrong. It has to be more ethically ethically created oh, pornography sure. all right sure. so yeah there's there's that whole conversation yeah. too and and then wagner's coming in and saying no that's that's not true pornography really is sinful and you shouldn't view it um but he says so in very tempered language in using instead of moral compromise he says moral immaturity so this is where we're at today when it comes to uh the conversation regarding uh purity and sexual and sexuality Okay, so that's point one. Point two. Page 140, he begins talking about uh, extramarital sex um, specifically. And he states this final, his final principle uh, was um, 
uh, so he, remember, he's he's crafting his sexual ethic here, and he lists four different points. His final point is the level of commitment should correspond to the level of physical intimacy. This is a commonly stated uh, boundary for dating couples. Uh, it's articulated in multiple different books. How far can we go physically? And it's usually worded along the lines of the level of commitment should correspond to the level of physical uh, intimacy. So in other words, if you have a specific level of commitment to an individual, then you can do more uh, when it comes to physical intimacy with one another. Do you guys, do you understand that? Are we, are we good there? Yes. It sounds like you're saying, you're, you're saying, so, so distinguish what you're not saying. They're not saying once you have full and total marital commitment, you can be physical. They're saying on the way to that marital commitment, the higher level of commitment you, you have to that person that gives you more license to be intimate. Yes, that's essentially it. Okay. Uh, so then the so, like not to be crude, but if we're using the base analogy, if you've been dating a long time and you're engaged, and you're planning to be married, you could go more around the bases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the then like if you're just Okay. That's the that's really ah that's that's very troubling. That's the general principle. Now, what the bases are and all of that, he doesn't. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And we don't need to get into that. No. But w- this is where he then goes with that. So that's his fourth uh, principle. Then he says, "This final principle. What is the final principle? The level of commitment should correspond to the level of physical intimacy." I'm going to read on. This final principle undergirds the historic Christian teaching that sex should be reserved for marriage. It is at least reasonable that the greatest acts of physical intimacy correspond to the greatest level of relational vulnerability and commitment. Okay, I don't have a problem with that if I can define that. In other words, if you are married, that's when you have sex. Continuing to read, though, the point, in my view, is not to save everything possible for your wedding day or soon after. Okay, let me read that again. The point, in my view, is not to save everything possible for your wedding day or soon after. after. It's to make sure in your own conscience, the physical intimacy you pursue and invite is not out of balance with the level of your relational commitment. Additionally, for those who continue to believe the Bible requires extramarital abstinence, the matter is one of obedience to God. Okay. Do you see what he did then in that last sentence? Oh, yeah. Read it again. Uh, Additionally, that's a big caveat. Yikes. You should read that again. Huge, you should read that again. Huge. Yeah, that was bad. For those who continue to believe the Bible requires extramarital abstinence, <laughs> the matter is one of obedience to God. So what is he doing? He's, he's kind of pulling the Dave Ramsey trick where you have your curriculum and then you have it made for the secular audience and the Christian audience. And there it's like, he's got his two audiences. He's trying to talk to at one time. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's really troubling. He's opening up basically, I mean, any kind of a Christian or, I mean, you've basically just softened the importance of, of, Mm -hmm. uh, of uh, prohibiting um, premarital sex. You know, because you only applied it to like certain individuals. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what are you doing here? All right. So um, then um, he continues this. I was like, am I really reading him right? Is he really, 
really not taking a strong stand against uh, fornication? And the answer is, that's exactly what he's doing. He's not taking a strong stand against it. Uh, later on on page 160, as I've already suggested, there may be good reasons for holding off until marriage. But mind-blowing wedding night sex is rarely one of them. Okay, so in essence, there may be good reasons to wait. Oh, I'm glad. Maybe you should walk us through some of those biblical reasons. It might be good reasons why we shouldn't, uh, why we should encourage our young people to continue to live lives of purity. Now, this is what I am seeing within this response to purity culture. Purity culture had one thing right. You know what they emphasized? What? Purity. Okay. Okay. They they emphasized purity. Like, hey, you know what? You shouldn't have sex before marriage. Okay. And furthermore, after you married, you should only have sex with your spouse, at least as a generalization. Now, they had lots of problems, uh, free to admit that, whatever. Okay. But guess what? There's one thing that they did have, right? They emphasized purity. And that's what I'm not seeing now in a lot of the uh, publications that, that are coming out uh, from um, major uh, American Christian publishers. There's a de-emphasis on uh, sexual sin. And what that's essentially doing is it's leading our children down the wrong path that's going to lead them into the arms of Dame Folly or into promiscuity. Instead, we need to recapture uh, God's idea, God's ideal uh, for love, marriage, and intimacy. It's one of the reasons why we wrote Song of Songs for Singles. And it's July 4th. The book releases July 8th. Uh, when this airs, we will already have them in the faith bookstore, and then it'll be shipping this weekend. If you haven't picked up a copy or pre-ordered it, you should go and pre-order it. The ebook will be available August 1st, and I really would encourage you to read our book and interact with it. Um, we have really sought to uphold a Christian sexual ethic and encourage young people to pursue purity, and then also direct them in the ways that they can love uh, love successfully even after marriage. So then they can begin married life uh, well. So pick up a copy of Song of Songs for Singles, Non-Toxic Masculinity. I mean, can I give this a Thinkling's rating on the goodness scale? Like, I'm just not gonna. I mean, he makes a bigger deal arguing against pornography than he will against premarital sex. I'm like, you're, you're, um, you got some problems here, friend. And they're too significant for me to put this on the Thinkling's goodness scale. This goes on the Shack Stack. So that is my books in business. Is there a chapter on fatherhood? Do you have some in that book? There is. Yeah, actually, I had, I had a, a highlight okay. there. That's, like a good thing. I, I have it right here. <clears throat> yeah. So this is, some, okay, so I'm also reading Sam Allerby's book on singleness. Okay. And this whole thing, this whole concept of fatherhood mm -hmm. is something I need to like, yeah. Did you have something you want to say? And well, then I, I just, can, I can read it. I, I was just it right Googling here. him while we were talking about this. And it's really funny. The Gospel Coalition, TGC, just put out a review of his book on June 1st, which is like two weeks ago mm -hmm. by Shane somebody. Shane. Uh, yeah, he didn't like it. Yeah. And it's funny, Shane Morris. And I just, there's one quote that's really interesting. And this is, he's quoting the therapeutic theology or philosophy behind it. And he's, he's actually seeing some similar things to you. He says, Zachary Wagner's non-toxic masculinity is a halting attempt by a hurting soul 
to address real and unconscionable harms within the church. At moments, he shows signs of reaching for something nobler than the older demands of the hashtag MeToo movement and the modern psychology. I was pleasantly surprised by his chapter on fatherhood in which he foregrounds the procreative potential of male bodies and actually calls the chief end of our sexuality. Yet he fails to grasp the centrality of the Christian sexual ethic and the natural family for securing and preserving that good. These things aren't the gospel, but they are the law of love, Matthew 22, 40, and they certainly are not minor issues. In that sense, Wagner delivers on his title, but falls short of his subtitle. The quest to make men merely harmless is no substitute for recovering a biblical, historical, and yes, masculine Christian ethic. That's interesting. He, I'm just saying like you guys are saying the same thing, yeah. but, or some similar things. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say that, but yeah. And he, for, for TGC to shoot at it. And now he's, I was reading Wagner's response on his website and he's a little disappointed with TGC for them not pushing, I don't know, for their treatment of uh, sexual ethics in the church or something like that. I'm like, yeah. man, this is, is, this is really. And it's TGC. Me. It's, it's the gospel coalition. I mean, I know that's not what, a, if TGC is against you, like, yeah. Because you're exactly conservative. Because you're too far left of TGC. Mm-hmm. So I know <clears throat> that's that's not a great thing. Sorry, so I just he, I thought that was interesting that you yeah, know, even they're saying the same thing. Yeah, let's stop there. We can go to a, a thought from God's word, but he does have some interesting things to say about fatherhood, which I might bring that up when I interact with uh, Sam Allerby's book on um, oh, what is it? It's on singleness essentially. Um, because he says some similar things. Uh, Allerby is way more balanced and way better than Wagner. Um, but um, I have some things I disagree with there too. But this whole idea of fatherhood, we can save that for another time. All right. Now, Charlie, let's have a final thought from God's word. All right. So it is the 4th of July where we blow things up in celebration of our freedom. And Woo-hoo. so, yeah. So let's I think this talk. would be Mary and Pippin's favorite holiday because of the fireworks. Oh, that was good. It, ooh, ooh. Oh, thank you. That oh, sorry, I sidetracked. Me. No, I shouldn't have sidetracked. That reminds <laughs> me. So when you're making your first point, kind of in the first and second point of that book where he's really not giving a strong case for why porn is not the real issue. And then, you know, he, he, you know, makes two errors where he's not strong on pornography. And then he's like, oh, and you can kind of do whatever you want as long as you're committed to them. You know, that's very wishy-washy. I did think of a quote. And so we'll, I'll, I'll read the quote and then you guys can tell me who said it. Oh boy. Let's do this. He who breaks a thing to find out what it is has left the path of wisdom. Charlie, Charlie, we know that because of you. That's Gandalf. And 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 so I feel like we have this thing. What what did purity culture get right? Well, you need to be pure. Yeah. And that that yeah. is a thing not to be played with. And then he's like, well, let's break that apart. And re- do we really need to not have sex until marriage? <laughs> Is it really, is pornography really a problem? That's not really a problem. And I, I, I understand this sentiment maybe, and he's just wrong, you know? So, you know, there's yeah. a lot of yeah. commands in scripture that say he is. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. a little better yeah. than his uh, therapeutic reasoning anyway. Uh, so 
you know, nice little, nice little rabbit trail there right back to let's talk about freedom. And so I think the idea of freedom is, is, is difficult to talk about, especially in America, because freedom in America does not really encompass the idea of freedom in America does not really encompass the biblical idea of freedom. So in patriotic American freedom, there's a lot of great ideas that are certainly rooted in theology and are are helpful and beautiful things. For example, the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, you know, uh, it's not called the freedom, but the right to bear arms, you know, things like that, that we get very patriotic about and we want to hold on to those things. And that's what freedom is, is that I can do what I want to do because that's my right. I can own the gun because that's my right. I can say what I want to say because that's my right. I can worship however, wherever I want, because that's my right. And those are some good things. In fact, all three of those I deeply believe in. However, when the Bible says in Galatians 5, for freedom, God has set you free. Uh, Make sure I'm quoting correctly. For Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. He's not necessarily equating what we think as patriotic freedom to what his idea is. The idea in Galatians of freedom is freedom from the laws of God as a means by which we receive justification. So there are some Jewish Christians, or maybe they're not Christians, in the churches of Galatia who are teaching that in order to be a Christian, you still must fulfill and accomplish some of the laws of the Old Testament, mainly circumcision. And what Paul has done leading up to chapter 5 is he has dismantled their argument, essentially saying that if anything is added to the free grace of the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. He says it so poignantly as to say, if there is righteousness in the law, Christ died in vain. The the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection means nothing if you can earn righteousness through the law. And we could go into another sidetrack. The the law was never intended to merit you righteousness. It's, It's not intended or uh, efficient to do that. It it is really good at magnifying your sin. It's really bad at making you righteous. (laughs) Um, And so there's only one who could fulfill the law's commands. Now, that doesn't mean that God didn't ask Israel to do it. He did ask them to obey his commands. And I think he was being loving and gracious to do so because the struggle that Israel had for most of its history was thinking that they were righteous when they were really not. So if they would actually try to keep the law, it would have been revealed to them very clearly that they have an issue, primarily of fearing and loving the Lord, that they don't love him, 
And that is why they struggle to do these other big things like not murder and to not covet and things like that, you know, the, the big 10, right? And when he says we Christ has set us free, he's regarding the law that you no longer have to strive and strive to keep these commands that could never make you righteous. Because Jesus, the righteous one, died for you and is willing to give you his righteousness. You are absolutely freed from the law through grace. And so that, that's a huge theological discussion and uh, uh, a mutual friend of, we, we might say, an honorary thinkling in the highest regard, Dr. Myron Houghton, wrote a book on this, uh, Law and Grace, where this is what he's talking about, where the law is not grace and grace is not the law. And distinguishing them in the Bible is quite important to understanding the gospel and understanding, I would say, sanctification. So, uh, when we get to freedom in Galatians, we're not talking about like, I can do what I want, <laughs> even though it does get construed that way. It, it makes logical sense. Like if you're not to keep the laws of God anymore because Christ has set you free, well, then can I just do whatever I want? You know, thinking of some of those Old Testament laws, like, you know, eating shrimp, wearing clothing that's maybe not of the specific uh fabric that I'm supposed to, do I have to wear tassels on all my garments? You know, well, no, I'm free from that. So I can, I can wear what I want. I can eat what I want. You know, I can enjoy bacon. Is that really what freedom is about? Being able to do something that I couldn't do before. And certainly in the book of Galatians, we know a couple of things about freedom. Freedom is not living out a fleshly lifestyle. He says that Right there in Galatians 5, verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So what does it mean to be free in Galatians? It's a freedom not Hmm. to indulge my flesh, Hmm. but it's a freedom to genuinely love and serve. And that's a big mm. idea because a lot of Christians think uh, Christian liberty is about doing what they want. It's actually about giving up what they want to serve someone else. And that's where he then goes in the text is freedom is not an opportunity for the flesh, but it's to through love serve. And where does love come from? And just two verses down, we get to walking in the spirit. Being free as a Christian is walking in the Spirit. It's being empowered by the Spirit to do what I would have never done on my own, to genuinely love something that's unlovable, to serve when I don't want to serve. It's it's the Spirit that combats the desires of the flesh that allows me to do what He wants me to do. And so that's where he says in verse 18, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Freedom is being able to submit myself to the spirit, which enables an obedience that I couldn't have without the spirit. And so what is freedom in Galatians 5? It's not 
living a fleshly life. It is walking in the spirit. And I would define it this way, which this is not my own definition. This is from Dr. Paul Hartog. Freedom is the ability to do the right thing because we love the right thing and have the ability to choose the right thing. So Mm. being free of the law is to genuinely obey the law because I've been changed. And so as we celebrate freedom and we blow things up in celebration of the right to have that handgun and the right to say whatever I want or, you know, not be censored. And as I celebrate the right to worship freely, which are all wonderful things. Also celebrate the fact that you do not have to earn righteousness through the law, that Jesus has set you free through his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's free in the salvific sense that he has saved you. He's given you his righteousness and he does not ask you to live a standard of life from the old Testament law. He has given you a greater law, which is to serve one another in love, not living a fleshly life. And so my biggest uh, encouragement for you to meditate on with that word, with those uh, verses there is to just consider uh, how you are walking in the spirit. And if you walk in the spirit against these things, there is no law. And if you walk in the spirit, you will have the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, and the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control of the spirit who has set us free. And so uh, I'll just read the last couple verses here of Galatians 5 to cap it off. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Do not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So encourage you listeners to walk in the Spirit, celebrate your freedom within where God has enabled you to do what you would not have done on your own, what you could not do on your own by walking in the Spirit. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast. The Thinklings want to remind our listeners that the Thinklings Podcast is our personal production. Our conversations, book discussions, and viewpoints may not represent the views of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. Any questions or feedback should be directed to us at the Thinklings Podcast.